Let's open with a word of prayer and we'll dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. You are a great and an awesome God. And as we go to your word right now, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Not the words of man, but the word of God. I pray if anybody here today doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. And again, I pray for those that are new here today, they would feel welcomed and loved. Those that are watching on live stream, that you'd minister to every heart. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said... If you were here on Good Friday, we had a Good Friday service and we looked at the greatest act of love in all of human history when Jesus Christ went to the cross of Calvary and suffered and died the most torturous death in all of humanity because not only did he suffer physically, but he knew separation from the Father. And as I said on Good Friday, it needs to be repeated again, Jesus endured it all because he loves you. Matter of fact, he loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you and he proved it on the cross of Calvary. We got to the end of chapter 15, it said, we saw that Jesus was put into the tomb, and most people's biography would end right there. When people die, that's the end. When Muhammad died, that was the end. When Ari Krishna died, that was the end. When Joseph Smith of the Mormon church died, that was the end. Any other prophet or false teacher out there, when they died, it was done. The reason that we have hope was we don't serve a dead God, we serve a risen and living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death, Amen. And so we come to the chapter 16, Jesus is in the tomb, and then we're going to see the response of the people on Resurrection Sunday and on that Saturday that came beforehand. And so if you have your outline, grab it, we'll go through it quickly, and then we'll dig into the text. So I tell the message, the dawning of the new day, Jesus triumphed over sin, death, and the grave, and we'll see our, our response to the message of the resurrection. See, we're going to see people in today's chapter and we're going to be able to identify with one of them or more than one of them on how they responded to the resurrection. See, Jesus had taught them for three years that he, after three days he would raise from the dead. And yet, on Sunday morning, we're going to see that everybody should have been surrounding it, knowing that he was going to raise from the dead. And sadly, even though they had heard the word, they did not receive it and they did not respond to it. And sadly, that's most people in America today. Most people in the world today, we've heard the word, but it's not enough to hear it. We need to respond to it. Amen? It's not enough to know what the Bible says. It's not enough to believe that Jesus exists. Do you have a relationship with him? So here are the points we're going to look at this morning. First of all, when it comes to response to the message of the resurrection, first they thought he was dead. And we're going to see that they're going to show up on, on Resurrection Sunday morning and they're going to bring uh, stuff that you would bring for a dead man to make his corpse smell better. They thought he was dead. Well, the, the response of men today is we didn't believe. They didn't believe he was risen. And there, most people don't believe that Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior. Again, religion won't save you. You must have a relationship with him. Then verses 2 through 8, they're going to see that they heard it. He was alive. And even when they heard he was alive, even his closest followers, most of them, at least initially, doubted it. And they questioned it. And you know what? We have people today who've heard the truth of the gospel, but they doubt it or question it. Then they saw him face to face. Even then, some believed and still more doubted, even after he had risen from the dead and they had seen him face to face. Then they responded with hardened hearts of unbelief. You know, every one of us is going to stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day. You know, here the results are in. One out of every one person dies. Amen? 
And so we're all going to stand before the creator of the universe on judgment day. We're not going to stand with anyone else. It's going to be us and the creator. And either you have a relationship with him or you don't. Either you're born again or you're not. You can't be kind of saved. Either for him or you're against him. Amen? And so sadly, so many who heard the truth, who had heard the message, who saw the miracles and all that the Lord had done, they continued again to respond with hearts of unbelief. And point number five there, they were all sent out by the Lord to teach and disciple others. As Christians, the most selfish thing we can do is go to heaven by ourselves. The only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. And people need to hear about the Lord. And if we have, you know, imagine if, if we had the cure for a cancer that infected everyone in our country, and we had the cure, and we took that medicine, and, and the cancer went away. How selfish would we have to be if we had enough for everyone to just put it all in our garage, shut the door, and say, well, I'm healed. I'm not going to worry about them. Well, guys, there is a cancer. It's called sin. And we have the cure. His name is Jesus Christ. And we must not keep it to ourselves. People need the Lord. I pray that there's not one person in this room that leaves here without knowing the Lord. You know, when you know the Lord, you don't have to fear death. Death has no sting. You don't have to be afraid of what's going on in the world. You know what? If you know the Lord, you fear nothing. If you don't know the Lord, you should fear everything. But because of the Lord, we have a relationship with him. And we should go out and we're commanded to keep, not to keep the good news to ourselves. Point number six, they had the promise of God's protection as they walked faithful in obedience. You know, when we're walking with the Lord, if God is for us, who can be against us? You plus God is a majority. And there's a blessing in knowing that, you know, if God is, is on my side, you know, we don't need to worry about what the world thinks. We just need to be faithful to the Lord and know that when we step out in faith, the Lord walks with us. We're indestructible until God's through with us. And then finally, they had the promise that he would never leave them. I love that I wake up every morning with the Lord. I love that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me. I love that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And that's true of anybody who's given your life to the Lord. You're never going to be alone. The Lord will always be with you. He is a faithful God. So let's begin there, looking at Mark 16. We'll begin there in verse 1. Let me just catch up on the events that had already taken place. So first they arrested Jesus. Remember, he came in on Palm Sunday. If you're here last Sunday, we looked at Palm Sunday. And they were crying out, Hosanna, save now we pray you. And they wanted a conquering king. And when they found out he wasn't going to be a conquering king, but a suffering savior, some of those same people started crying out, crucify him. Well, then they arrested Jesus and they beat him and they mocked him. And then they scourged him, which met, left most people dead. And then they brought him up on stage and wrapped a robe around him and mocked him as the king of the Jews and put a crown of thorns. Thorns in the Bible came into existence with sin in Genesis. And so here, all the sin of mankind being placed upon him. They're mocking him as the king of the Jews. Then they offered Barabbas as an alternative. And the people cried out for Barabbas to be set free instead of Jesus. And you know, Barabbas is a picture of us. We're the ones that deserve the cross and Jesus took our place. Amen? That's exactly what happened with Barabbas. So then they brought him, uh, carried him through, humiliating him. It's Passover, which means uh, Israel has swollen to 10 times its normal population. And they're dragging Jesus through the crowds where he's being spit on and mocked and treated like a criminal. We know on the way there, he collapsed. Simon of Cyrene picked up his cross and carried it the rest of the way. Again, a picture that we're the ones that deserve to carry it, not the Lord. Then they nailed him to a cross. 
And while he was on the cross, he had seven sayings and he ended with to talestai, which is it is finished or paid in full. When a, when a debt had been paid, they would stamp it to talestai. When, when something was redeemed, to talestai. So for us, the price has been paid. It's been paid in full. Jesus paid it all. Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. We don't need to add anything to it. He paid it all. It's been paid in full. At noon, the sky grew dark. For three hours, the earth quaked. Dead people got up and walked around in Jerusalem. How everyone didn't get saved, I have no idea. If grandma shows up at your house 50 years after she died, I'm thinking everyone should be repenting. But even then they didn't. So his, it just was proof that he had triumphed over sin and death. And then he is placed in a grave by Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. And that's where it ends. So now here we are in chapter 16, beginning there in verse one, the dawning of a new day, Jesus triumphed over sin, death, and the grave. And we'll see our response to the message of the resurrection. First, they thought he was dead. Look what it says there in verse one. It says, now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, Salome brought spices that they might come to anoint him. Now, praise the Lord, and, and I said this on Good Friday, that who do we, all, who do we see always kind of hanging out? It's the women. All the men ran away in hiding. Peter's in the up in the room crying. He's not, you know, he's, he's denied the Lord. He cursed and said he didn't know him. But who shows up? So during the Sabbath, remember that they crucified Jesus quickly because they wanted him, they wanted him not to defile the Passover. So the Passover lamb of God, they're worried about him defiling Passover. That's where religion has taken the place of a relationship, Amen. So the women get up in the morning and praise God that they ran to the tomb. But notice at the end of that verse, they brought, they brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Now you don't anoint alive people. You anoint dead people. So the Sabbath was Friday night sun, sunset to Saturday night sunset. Then they went and gathered the spices. Then they went to the tomb and they thought they were going to go in and anoint the dead body of Jesus to keep it from smelling bad. To, to, and again, they didn't embalm in those days. This is the closest thing to it. So they came to the tomb and praised God for that, but they came not understanding. And here's the problem with many people today in the world. They believe, well, Jesus was a good man. Or Jesus was a good teacher. But you know what? Jesus is more than a good teacher. And he's more than a good man. He's the son of God. He's the alpha and the omega. He's the creator of all things. Amen? And because of who he is, he is different. We, when we die, we're dead. Now, good news is for believers, if you know the Lord, you close your eyes on earth and you open them up in glory. Amen? Christians die well. We don't die. We move to a much better neighborhood. Amen? And so we moved to a new neighborhood, but sadly, they came to the tomb, but at least they came. Now, I want to refresh your memory that Jesus, for three years, taught his disciples that I am going to be crucified, and after three days, I'm going to raise from the dead, and none of them showed up on the third day. They're all hiding because they think they're next. Peter had cussed after denying the Lord's name. The rest of them are in hiding. Praise God that the women showed up, but they thought he was a dead man. So obviously at this point, the only people that thought that Jesus could potentially raise from the dead, the only people that prepared for it were the Romans. Because remember, they put 50 soldiers to guard the tomb. And the Jews were concerned, the religious leaders were concerned that 
somebody would come and steal the body and claim that he had been risen from the dead. Now we know from the other gospels, if you look at the gospel of Luke, it says on that Sunday morning, an angel showed up and everybody fell out. Because one angel will whip 50 soldiers all day long. These guys are like 50, you know, green berets and one angel takes care of them all. They all fall out. And the women were concerned, like, who's going to roll the stone away when we get there? And they get there and the stone's been rolled away and all the soldiers are gone. By the way, God will never allow anything to keep you from him if you're coming to truly seek him. Amen. And by the way, the stone didn't need to be rolled away so Jesus could get out. Because he's God, amen? It was rolled away so the people could see in. He doesn't need our help or our assistance. So during the Sabbath rest, as Jesus lay in the grave, the disciples were filled with tears and fear. The religious leaders, the Sabbath services in the temple were taking place. And the chief priests who presided over the Passover services had their hands full of the blood of Christ. The very same people that had cried out, crucify him, are now observing Passover. But Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was the fulfillment of Passover. For Satan, it was a time where he foolishly believed he had won. Satan thought he won a victory when Jesus died on the cross. But we all know that was his greatest defeat. Amen? He's going to prove it. So it was Saturday, but Sunday's coming, and with it, the dawning of a new age in which the world would never be the same again. Again, Mary Magdalene, who one of the women who came, was a prostitute who was delivered from demon possession. The Bible says, he that's been forgiven much, loves much. And I want us to know that none of us is so sinful that we cannot be forgiven. I've done prison ministry for about 15 years off and on. And when I meet prisoners, some of them will say, well, pastor, you don't understand all the things I've done. I can't be forgiven. Let me encourage you. There's not anybody that's so sinful that they can't be saved. Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Amen? And I believe that's why Mary Magdalene's at the tomb. She'd been forgiven much. She'd been delivered from demonic oppression. And where does she want to go? She just wants to hang out with Jesus because he's the one who saved her. And praise God for that. By the way, you can't be so good that you don't need to be saved. And you can't be so bad that you can't be saved. So no matter how good you think you are or how bad you think you are, the answer is the same. You need Jesus. He's the answer for all of us. Mary, the mother of James, was there. And Luke, it says Joanna was there, other women. So the women gather together. They get these aromatic oils to bring because they think that Jesus is dead and they want to anoint him with oil. It's an act of love. Praise God for that. But they didn't fully grasp the entire message. Sometimes we have Christians like that, that you don't really read the Bible. So you know a little bit about God, but you really don't know what he really teaches. You don't really have that intimate relationship with him. You know, you're as close to God as you want to be. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so the more you want to have more faith, spend more time in God's word. You want to walk in closer, intimate fellowship with God? Spend more time in God's word. One of my favorite Bible teachers, John Corson, people used to say to him, I wish I had faith like you. He said, you can read the Bible as much as I do. So open, read the book, don't wait for the movie, amen? Spend time in God's word. So point number one there, they thought he was dead. And the, the sad part is that many are in that place where they just don't believe. They think that Jesus died. They don't believe in the resurrection. And sadly, there's many walking there today that believe that. They heard he was alive. Look at verse two. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. Now, I know that doesn't translate in the original language, but I love that it translates in English because it says the sun had risen. <laughs> Amen? It's right there in your Bible. 
So not only had the S-U-N risen, but so had the S-O-N. Amen? He is risen indeed. Amen? But the sun had risen. So very early, early Sunday morning, the women left the place they were staying to go to the tomb of Jesus. It is true they should have paid more attention to the Lord's repeated prediction, but let us not overlook their love and loyalty. At the cross when Jesus died, they were the last ones there. They went to Joseph's tomb when he was buried, and we know that because they knew where to go on, sun, on, uh, on Resurrection Sunday. And so they go back to the tomb. They showed up. They're seeking the Lord. And it says they came to the tomb, and again, the sun had risen in more ways than one. Some people have struggled with the fact that Jesus did not remain in the grave for a certain amount of hours. And there's, there's debates about which day is a good Friday or a good Thursday. Here's the bottom line. He's risen. Amen. Amen. That's what matters. Don't lose sight of that. Don't get caught up in the minutia of other stuff. Don't let people draw you away. I believe he was in the tomb for 40 hours, but it covered three days. And 40 in the Bible is the number of testing. And that's not a surprise. Verse three. And they said among themselves... Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Now, again, as they traveled toward the tomb, they realized that having no man with them, because all the men were hiding, having no man with them, that it would be impossible to roll the stone to enter the tomb. And having been there Friday, again, they knew a Roman guard was posted, and they were unaware of even greater potential problem that, uh, that those Romans, the 50 Romans were there. But again, God will not allow an obstacle to stand in your way if you're truly seeking the Lord. People say, well, I'm seeking the Lord. I haven't found him. If you were seeking, you would find him because he's not hiding. Amen? God's not hiding. He wants to know you. Notice verse four. But when they looked up, they saw the stone was rolled away for it was very large. In Matthew 28, it says, Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. Man, I love that picture. He's sitting on the, the rolled away stone as all the soldiers have fallen out, and then they eventually get up and all run away. And you know why? Because our God is greater than even the Green Berets. Amen? Again, it wasn't to let Jesus out. It was to let them in. It says his countenance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow and the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. See, again, we need not fear because if God is for us, who can be against us? Verse five, and entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in long white robes sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Now, Matthew 28 declares him to be an angel. Matthew, Mark, is fo Matthew, Mark focus on uh, the angel who spoke to them. And Luke and John record that there was a second angel there with him. Now, there were angels when they entered the tomb, if you look at all four gospels, one at the foot and one at the head of where Jesus was. And in the middle were his blood-stained clothes folded nicely, but Jesus is no longer there. Now, why is it significant, especially happening on Passover? See, on Passover and on what is known as Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, it was the only day when the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies. And in the temple, he would, on that one day, he would go into the Holy of Holies and there was the Ark of the Covenant. And there they would take the blood of the lamb and they would sprinkle it in the center of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is a box, not a boat. Amen? It's not Noah's Ark, it's the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant had, had the, the uh, Ten Commandments in it because Jesus is the Word. It had Aaron's rod because he's the great high priest. And it had a jar of manna because he's the bread of life. And then on top of it was the mercy seat that covers us. See, we're covered by God's mercy. We can't keep the law. It's impossible. 
By the way, I'm more pro-Israel than anybody in the room. Uh, and I told that to the rabbi where we shared a, a synagogue for years. And I'm, pro, I'm pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel. Amen? God is faithful. But sadly, people have lost sight of the fact they're trying to do good works. And I have, most of you know, I have a full-time job along with being the pastor here. And I go on sales calls. And when I meet Jewish people, I love to talk to them because I say, I believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they say, well, it's very difficult to be a Jew because we have 600 and something laws we must keep. And I said, that's not difficult. That's impossible. Because <laughs> you can't keep them. And when was the last time you made a sacrifice of a lamb? Well, yeah, we're not doing that. You know why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, it was no longer needed. But it's God's mercy that covers the law. And you can't keep the law. You can't be good enough. God doesn't grade on a curve comparing you to other people. He grades at the cross and it all depends on what you've done with God's son. That's all that matters. Amen? But what's amazing is on Yom Kippur, when they came in and sprinkled the blood, you know what was on either side of the Ark of the Covenant? Two angels. One on this end and one on that. And you know why? Because it was pointing to the resurrection. Because when they walked in that tomb that morning, what they saw is the same thing that the high priest would say, see, on the Day of Atonement, every time you went in, angels on each side with the blood-stained cloth in the middle. And there they had sprinkled the mercy seat with blood. So it was always pointing to Jesus. All the sacrifices pointing to Jesus. But the blood of bulls and goats cannot save us. It was just pointing to the one who would. And that's why after Jesus died on the cross and he said it is finished, we're not sacrificing lambs anymore. Praise the Lord. Amen? <laughs> Paid in full. So thankful. So they were alarmed, it says there, when they saw him. They were alarmed. The word alarmed there is a strong word for great amazement, including a note of dread or great fear. You know, whenever people see angels, they're, they're, they're alarmed. When an angel shows up, people fall on the floor. When they came to arrest Jesus and they said, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And he said, I am. What did all the soldiers do? They all fell out. Guys, and there's people that say, well, when I get to heaven, I've got questions for God. You don't got no questions for God. <laughs> You're not going to be standing up there like telling God what he did wrong. We're all going to be on our face. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. And one angel, they were blown, they were in fear. You know what? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's a good place to start, amen? Now watch what happens, verse six. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where he laid. By the way, if that's your Bible, or if even it's one you borrowed from us where it says he is risen, underline that. He's risen, he has triumphed over sin and death. That's why we don't need to fear death. That's why death has no sting. That's why death for us is temporary separation from those that we love. And there's a day coming when we'll all be around the throne of grace, worshiping him forevermore. No more pain, no more death, no more sorrow, no more suffering. And we will tri he triumphed over sin and death, not only for himself, but for everyone who surrenders their life to him. Amen? We've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. We have the promise of eternal life. I tell my wife, if I die before her, uh, first of all, I didn't die. I just moved to a much better neighborhood. I told her, put me in a U-Haul box and leave me on the curb. Because I'm not, I'm just moving, amen? <laughs> just moving. If someone ever says to you, Pastor Dave died, tell them, no, no, no. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He didn't say you're at the wrong tomb. Amen? 
People have taught that. People have taught that, oh, they went to the wrong tomb. That's why it was empty. But the soldiers all fell out at the wrong tomb. And then all the apostles, after they saw Jesus, all died deaths of martyrs. And over 500 people saw him in a single day. The resurrection is one of the most provable facts in all of human history. He's one of the central focused truths of the Christian faith and is the only plausible explanation for the empty tomb. Even the Jewish leaders of the day, and again, keep in mind, this is a Jewish book written about a Jewish savior by, Jew, by Jewish people. Praise God for that, amen? amen? So when I say the Jews, I'm talking about those who rejected him because the first century church was largely Jewish, amen? So praise God for the Jewish people. We love them. So Jewish resurrection, again, is the central focus, the only plausible. And even the Jewish leaders did not deny the reality of the empty tomb, but concocted stories that the disciples had stolen Jesus's body. The idea that the fearful, doubting disciples who were hiding had somehow come down and overthrown, you know, 50, uh, you know, green berets and stolen the, the body away and then were willing to die and be put to death because of it later is nonsense. Just as ludicrous as the fact that some of the apostles were killed for preaching his death, burial, and resurrection, while they had, if they had stolen his body, they were going to death for a lie. We know that's not true. You know, I really know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead because he lives inside of me. And he lives inside of you. Amen? We don't have a religion. We have a relationship with the creator of the universe. It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, then he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by the 12. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. It says he is not here. It's a place where they laid him. Go look. He's not here. By the way, if you've been to Israel, and I've been to Israel thankfully four times, we're going to have another Israel trip. I've been to the tomb. I've gone into the tomb. He's not there. <laughs> it's empty. He is risen indeed. Amen? If I went to Muhammad's grave, we could dig him up. If I went to any of the false gods of this world's graves, we could dig him up. Jesus Christ is God, and he proved it by triumphing over sin and death. Amen? We must never lose sight of that. It says in John 20, states that the grave clothes were still in the tomb and that our Savior's body had passed through the grave clothes, leaving them just as they had been wrapped around his body. So he's God. He comes out of the grave. The grave clothes are still there. Now watch verse seven. But go tell his disciples and Peter. <laughs> that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. As he said to you. So the angel says to these women, go tell the disciples. And when you look in the original language, he's really saying, and especially Peter. Now, if you remember, Peter was one of the three, right? He had the, the crowd, the 70, the 12, and the three. And the three were Peter, James, and John. And while Jesus had a relationship with the 70 and the 12, Peter, James, and John, he took away when he would go away to pray. He took them up on the Mount of Transfiguration. They saw the, the Lord in his glorified body and Elijah and Moses there. And they had, been, had a deeper relationship with the Lord. They had been exposed to more. And Peter was the one when the Lord said, you're going to deny me. He, he, he said, absolutely not. I will not deny you. And he said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And we know that the third time, right before the rooster crowed, Jesus was brought, being brought out after being beaten. And his eyes met the eyes of the Lord. And a girl said, you're one of his followers. And Peter cussed and said, I don't know him. And he went away and he's been weeping bitterly. And can you imagine your savior, the one you've been following for three years has been crucified. 
His body's laying in the ground. You don't understand what has happened and you denied your savior. And you're sitting in this upper room and he's probably all but suicidal. What in the world am I gonna do now? His life is over. He feels tormented. I can't believe I denied the savior. How in the world could I have done that? Can you imagine when when the women show up to where the guys are hiding and they say, an angel appeared to us and they wanted to tell you, hey, especially you, Pete, that Jesus is risen. And you know what this is? This is a picture of God's grace. Because Peter denied him. Peter no doubt thought he could not be forgiven. And the Lord loved him enough to mention him by name to let him know, Pete, I forgive you. You know, later Peter's gonna be with Jesus at the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is cooking some fish. And he says to Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, you know I love you. And the word anthrokia for a hot coal fire is only in the Bible twice. It's at the place where he denies the Lord for the third time and cusses and says he doesn't know him. And it's at the place where he tells the Lord three times that he loves him. And you know how you, if you smell something, I have some plants in my backyard that we used to have when I was a little kid. And when I smell them, it reminds me of the house I lived in in the 60s. It's amazing how that smell, well, he had, had smelled that hot coal fire when he denied the Lord and now he's smelling the hot coal fire when he tells the Lord three times that he loves him. Isn't our God a God of grace? Isn't it amazing that no matter how much we failed, we can take a million steps away from God. It truly is only one step back. Maybe you're here at church because you used to walk with the Lord and you haven't been coming for a while. And, and you know, I need to get right with the Lord. You know, one step back. Amen. He, he desires to have intimate fellowship with you. Don't leave here without making that one step back. So it's a picture of God's grace and forgiveness, singled out because he was the leader of the disciples, not the first pope, amen? Amen? I'm glad we're not built on the rock that's hiding after the crucifixion, amen? (laughs) Jesus is the rock upon which we're built, amen? Then he says to him that he is going before you into Galilee, there you will see him as he said. He had told them prior that after he was crucified, he would join them in the Galilee. By the way, if you've ever been to Galilee, I think it's the most beautiful place on the planet. I love the Galilee. And so the Lord is going to meet them on the Galilee. And he tells them that's where they should be looking. So if they had been listening, they would have been either at the tomb or they would have been in Galilee hanging out, waiting for him to show up. And instead, what were they doing? They were in hiding because they lacked faith. Again, they were slow to act on these words. It says in Mark 4, 28, but after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. He told them repeatedly what would happen and they didn't believe. By the way, the Bible is very clear. Jesus Christ is coming back for his church. And sadly, I hope not anybody here, but some people who've heard that a thousand times, kind of like said, go to the Galilee, are gonna ignore it. And when we all disappear... When the church is raptured, go to ccaneovalley.com because our website is rapture-proof and you can go on there and listen to messages about what just happened because all the pastors are going to be gone. Can I get an amen to that? So the word of God tells us we need to take heed what the Bible says. Amen? He goes to the Galilee. I think it's interesting too because he didn't go to the Roman headquarters to fight the Romans. You know, he didn't go... Uh, to, to anywhere else. He went to the Galilee. Why? Because he did not come to be king. 
to be a temporary king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He came to redeem sinful men and women. He didn't go to overthrow the Romans in Jerusalem. He didn't come to establish a, a, a earthly kingdom, but a heavenly one. An eternal kingdom, not a temporary one. Verse eight. It says in verse eight, so they went out quickly and fled from the tomb for they trembled and were amazed and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. They'd heard the truth that Jesus was risen in it and it shook them up. And you know what? If you don't know the Lord, it ought to shake you up. Amen? If you don't know the Lord, knowing who Jesus is, who he claimed to be, all that he's done for you, it ought to cause you, it ought to get your attention. Because again, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. And the only thing that will matter in eternity is what have you done with God's son? He's not going to be impressed with how much money you had. He's not going to be impressed with how, much, how many good works you did. He's not going to be impressed by this, you know, anything else that we esteem as so important. How many followers you have on TikTok or whatever, right? God's not impressed with any of that. Jesus is willing to suffer and die in your place that so you might have eternal life. Here's the reality. Every one of us standing before God will deserve to be judged. We're all guilty. Who's guilty besides me? Okay. We're all guilty. We stand before the judge. And you know what? What is the penalty for sin that has not been forgiven? What's the penalty? It's hell. Eternal torment separated from God. But here's the amazing part is that we are guilty. We deserve it. And then the judge himself comes down from behind the bench and takes our punishment for us so that we can go to heaven. What a great and awesome God we serve. But if you stand there without him and on your own good works, we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all sinners in desperate need of a savior. So they leave the tomb and they may be the only ones who, who knew the Lord, but their fear keeps them quiet. That's the sad part here. They're so afraid. They, they said nothing to anyone. Now the Lord tells us to tell everyone, but we often tell no one because we too can be afraid. How, how many of you are afraid sometimes to share your faith? It's easier to pray for people than to tell people about the Lord because either it's easier to talk to God about people than it is to talk to people about God because <laughs> he's a good audience and we know that he's happy to talk to us and the people aren't always. Amen. But are we not commanded by God to go out and share with people the love of Christ? And you know why we don't? Because we fear men more than we fear God sometimes. So they go away saying nothing, but they're going to run to the disciples. These women did not immediately tell anyone, but they will, as we're going to see in the coming verses. So now look at, so point number two there, they heard he was alive. And by, guys, we've heard the truth of the gospel. If you're here right now, or you're listening on live stream, or you hear this on the radio later, You've heard the gospel. Now it's time for you to respond. They've heard the truth that Jesus is risen. What happens? Verse nine. Now when Mary, when he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast uh, seven demons. So, he went, so she went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard he was risen and had been seen by her, they what? did not believe. The Lord told him, I'm going to die and I'm going to be crucified. And the third day I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. Third day I'm going to raise from the dead. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm, I'm third day I'm raised from the dead. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified. I'm third day I'm going to raise from the dead. By the way, I'm going to go to the Galilee. I'll be looking for you there. And then she walks in and says, we went to the tomb. He died. And guess what? On the third day, he rose from the dead. And they said, yeah, we don't believe it. 
Why? Because they don't believe what the word of God says. Guys, the word of God is the final court of authority for everything. Amen? This is the truth. And I don't care what a vision a man had or a dream somebody had or something somebody thought. Some of those can be from the Lord, but if they're from the Lord, they will agree with the word of God. This is the final court of authority. That's why we don't teach seven steps to financial freedom or three ways to overcome your anger or beaver doesn't live anymore. The We teach the Bible. Amen? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by... The word of God is what transforms our lives. So he comes to the woman and she runs to them and tells them, he rose. I don't believe it. He told you guys repeatedly. By the way, they saw him raise Lazarus from the dead, didn't they? Jeru's daughter raised her from the dead. Calmed the seas. Healed blind people. Healed lame people. Fed 5,000 people with a kid's lunch. Amen. They saw all these miracles that he had done. He told them he was going to raise from the dead, and they still didn't believe. It is so tragic that people know what the word of God says and yet still not believe. By the way, we don't check our brains at the door. We don't believe in spite of the evidence. Amen? Do you know there's historical evidence for the truth of the word of God? There's archaeological evidence for the truth of the word of God. And best of all, there's prophecy that was written about Jesus over 700 years before he came to earth and he fulfilled over 200 prophecies. That's only possible if you're God. How many of you decided where you were going to be born? The Bible says that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. Oh, here's a better one. Born of a virgin. Anybody else here? uh, Your mom's lying. Amen? (laughs) But the reality is that Jesus, all these prophecies, everything that we believe, we don't believe in spite of the evidence. By the way, we follow the science because our God is omniscience. He's all-knowing, amen? He's an almighty God. But they didn't believe her. They repeatedly prophesied. They still didn't believe, and it's so tragic. You meet people today, they've heard the word of God. They don't believe. Verse 12. After that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. This is the road to Emmaus. Uh, Luke 24 has a great, and Jesus shows up as two of the disciples are walking to the road to Emmaus and he just comes up alongside him, but he doesn't let them recognize him. And he starts talking to him like, what are you guys talking about? And you know what they say? Dude, are you new here? Because everybody in Jerusalem was talking about Jesus, Everybody. And so when they said, what are you guys talking about? Are you new to this area? Do you not know what's happened? And they told him about Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? He goes to the Old Testament and he teaches these two men everything about himself from the Old Testament. And the guesstimate would be that this would be about a three-hour walk. Can you imagine walking with Jesus for three hours and having him show you everywhere in the Old Testament where he, where, where, which a picture of him? And it says, as they were walking along, all of a sudden their hearts started to burn and they sat down with the Lord and they didn't want him to leave because the word of God was so powerful and they were so encouraged by it. And then he disappeared from their midst and they ran back and told the other disciples and didn't believe. These are the apostles, not the B apostles or the C apostles. These are the apostles. This is why we don't have statues of these guys. Amen? All sinners in need of a Savior just like us. Now look, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of them, and the same Peter that ran away from a little girl and hid, 
gets up and preaches with boldness to the same crowd he was afraid of, and 3,000 people got saved. See, you're fearful without the Holy Spirit, and you can walk fearlessly in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? And we need to be filled afresh with the Spirit. So the two disciples, they heard the word. They asked Jesus if he was new to the area. So the beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in the scriptures the, same, the things concerning himself. My dad, who's now been in heaven for five years, used to say, son, if I could have the tape of any message, it would be that one. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to know it all too then. Amen? They couldn't get enough. They said our hearts burned by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's still opening scriptures to us today. Verse 13, again, more, just more of a testimony that they did not believe. They keep being told the truth and they don't believe. They keep being told the truth and they don't believe. Now this should, in, in some ways, encourage us because some, how many of you guys have shared your faith with somebody in a very clear way and they just don't believe? If your hand's on up, you haven't shared your faith with very many people. <laughs> Amen? And, you, and it's so simple and you share it with them and they're like, yeah, I'm not buying it. I don't believe it. Now look, we need to pray for them. We need to continue to love them. We're all sinners. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. Amen? We're no better than anyone else. We're sinners saved by grace. Amen? And we've been redeemed and we've been forgiven. But therefore, the grace of God is every one of us. And we need to love everybody. Love God and love people. That's the greatest commission. That's the great commandment. Amen? And love God and love people. Now watch what happens in verse 14. So they saw him face to face, some believed and some doubted. So some people have been shown the truth of God's word. Maybe you're here today, you've been shown it repeatedly. Maybe you only came because a family member invited you and it's something that you do on Resurrection Sunday. I'm really glad you're here for whatever reason you're here and I hope you feel welcomed and loved, but you're not here by chance, you're here by divine appointment and we need to listen to what God's word has to say, amen? So he says here, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table he rebuked their unbelief and the hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. You know, the word, it's the harshest rebuke of the disciples in the entire Bible is right here. The word for rebuke is the harshest term in the entire Bible. Why does he rebuke them? Because they did not believe. You know, there's really only one unforgivable sin. It's, it's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, but really what it is, is it's, it's the refusal to believe. Amen. The Holy Spirit draws us into salvation and we reject it. Salvation is offered universally. It's accepted individually. Jesus died so that everyone could go to heaven. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. But he will never force salvation on you. While it's offered universally, it must be accepted individually. And here's this harshest rebuke, the unbelief and the hardness of their hearts. They had walked with Jesus for three years. They heard him teach of his resurrection. They witnessed his arrest. And they witnessed all of his miracles. They were eyewitness testimonies. They, I can't imagine hanging out with the Lord for five minutes and not being blown away, let alone three years. Amen? And yet, they still did not believe. In John 20, 29, it says, Thomas, because you have seen me and have believed, blessed are you, but those who have not, blessed are, are those who have not seen me and yet believed. Who's he talking about? Us. He tells him in verse 14, they responded with hardened hearts and unbelief. We're all going to be judged for how we respond to the truth of the resurrection. It was presented to them. They didn't believe. It's being presented to all of us. Do we believe? Verse 15, they, they were sent out by the Lord to tell others. So it says there in verse 15, so he said to them, this is Jesus. I love that Jesus is talking after he died. I love red letters after he's in the tomb. Can I get an amen to that? He's risen. And here's what he says. 
First, first words here in this gospel after he's risen, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the people you like. Is that what it says? <laughs> to every creature. I used to have a boss that was quite a creature. But here's the reality. And I witnessed her for 15 years and she got saved. So God is good, amen? Nobody's beyond salvation. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Now, Pastor Joshua talked about baptism. And, and yes, baptism is fruit of salvation, not the source of salvation. And people will use this verse to say you have to be baptized to be saved. Well, I've been baptized, so I'm not really worried about that. But here's the reality that notice he says, but he who does not believe will be condemned. He doesn't say he who will not be baptized will be condemned. And I'm only saying that because, yes, we should all be baptized. If you're a believer, you should be baptized. If you haven't been baptized, we're going to have our agape feast on May 1st. We're going to be doing baptisms right here in the pool. And I want to encourage you to be baptized if you have not been baptized. Amen? But we don't want to add to the cross of Calvary. We don't want to say it's Jesus plus your first Holy Communion, plus your confirmation, plus your last right. None of that. Amen? We don't say Jesus plus baptism. No, Jesus said it is finished. And what did he say to the thief on the cross? Today you'll be with me where? Paradise. Paradise. He didn't say, you know what? Get down off of here, get baptized, and we'll see what we can do. That's not what happened. <laughs> Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now again, I'm not, I'm not talking down baptism. People go, pastor, you shouldn't say that. I love it. We should all be baptized. Baptism is an outward statement of an inward change. It's a picture of our death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? We died to the person we used to be, and now we're new creations in Christ. Amen? And so we should absolutely be baptized. So he tells them the great commission to go share the gospel with people. And again, the most selfish thing we can do is go to heaven by ourselves. You know, we shouldn't just be satisfied that we have saved souls, that we're, going, that we're born again and we're going to heaven. He who believes will be saved. Jesus is not teaching, again, the necessity of baptism, but it's something that every believer should do. So they were sent out by the Lord to tell, teach, and disciple others. Let me ask you a question. What, this is between you and the Lord. When was the last time you shared your faith with somebody? When was the last time you told anybody about the Lord? When was the last time you even invited somebody to church? When was the last time that you made a stand for your faith with anybody? By the way, on top of that, he didn't say to make converts. He says to make disciples. So who are you discipling right now? And who's discipling you? We're called to make disciples, not converts. Last two points. They had the promise of God's protection as they walked in faithful obediences. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name, many will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He's saying, look, if you go out and serve me faithfully, I will use you mightily. And the point here is this, that if God is for us, who can be against us? And, and we can't limit what God can do through someone who's faithful to respond to the calling that God has placed upon their life. One of my life's verses, I have many of them. One of them is in Second Chronicles, and it says this. The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. He's not looking for a better method or a better message. He's just looking for men and women who will say, Lord, I'm here, use me. Here I am, Lord, use me. You know, whatever you want me to do, Lord, I want to encourage you. Pray every morning before your feet hit the floor. Lord, give me divine appointments today. Give me opportunities to share my faith today. And you know what? It's amazing when you pray that prayer, how God will answer it. Amen? Amen. 
And too often we're so busy. And again, I have a, a, a job. I sell advertising and software. I've been in the same company for 34 years. It's a very demanding job. I work hard. I do my job as unto the Lord um, because I want to honor God. And I believe every born again believer should be the best worker in the building. Amen. Bible says in Genesis 3, you will toil by the sweat of your brow the days of your life. That being said, I view every one of my customers as a mission field. And every one of my coworkers as a mission field. And I've seen, by the grace of God, many of them come to know Christ. And that's the number one reason I work there. Now, God provides for it. I want to be a good worker because of it. But at the same time, recognize that God wants to use you in it. You know, when you showed up in your neighborhood, the Holy Spirit just showed up. Amen. When you go to work on, on Monday, by the way, if Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. Amen? you go to work Monday, the Holy Spirit just showed up at the workplace. See, wherever you go, the Lord goes with you. And the Lord will do miraculous things through you if you will but let him. And praise God for that. Best viewer, if, if, it's, if it's compelled to take up deadly serpents, or you see people wrestling with serpents to prove that they're godly. I, I don't recommend that. <laughs> I think if you're in the middle of witnessing to somebody, you're in a difficult situation and God preserves your life. You don't go run on the freeway and say, God preserves me. Don't do that. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Amen. I was in India during Diwali and uh, Ramadan, the high Hindu and the high holiday, and they told me not to leave my, my hotel. And I was training pastors on how to study and teach the Bible. And they said, don't leave your hotel because they're all mad right now at each other. And you're a white guy. I'm not gonna, you're going to stick out like a sore thumb, and they will, they will come after you. And so I got up and went out that. Now, of course, right? And I'm witnessing to people, and I had a few people kind of, and, and someone said, well, you shouldn't have done that. I said, well, if God is for me, who can be against me? He didn't fly me all the way to India to hide in a hotel, amen? And I shared my faith with a lot of people, and many of them started coming to church to see, guys, we want to go out and be obedient to the Lord, knowing that if we go in obedience, that God will go out with us, amen? And that's the exhortation here. That God's promise of protection. We're indestructible till God's through with us, but thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Amen? Then finally, they have the promise that he would never leave them alone again. Verse 19 and 20. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and set down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Now they finally listened. The Lord spoke to them. They didn't believe, they didn't believe, they didn't believe. They didn't believe, they didn't believe. Then the Lord appears to them. The Lord speaks to them. The Lord calls them to go out and share their faith, to go tell everyone about him, to let them all know that he is risen. And you know what? They went out and obeyed the Lord. And what did the Lord do? He was, he was received in heaven. Now, where is Jesus right now? What's he doing? Sitting at the right hand of the Father. And what's he doing? He's praying for us. He's interceding on our behalf. So when you... Have that lunch with your boss and you're feeling prompted to tell him about the Lord. Do you know the Lord's with you in that? Lord's interceding for you in that? When we just say, Lord, I, not, there's nothing special about me other than I'm your son. I've been adopted into your family. And Lord, any good in me is because of you. And Lord, give me an opportunity. Aren't you glad that someone else told you about Jesus? Yes. Aren't you thankful? Yes. Guys, we must not keep it to ourselves. By the way, I don't want to win arguments over politics. I want to win people to Jesus. Amen? amen? amen. Two people said amen. The rest of you were <laughs> going to go and get in your truck with a Trump flag in the back. <laughs> 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 
takes some people a while to catch it, but here's the reality. Here's the reality, guys. We should be known for, you know, again, we should vote. We should do all that. We should make a stand for righteousness. We absolutely should do that. Some of the things are taking place. We should do the right thing. Can I get an amen to that? We should vote and vote biblically. But you know what? We want to win people. We don't want to win arguments. Amen? You can win an argument and break the ability to ever witness to that person again. So what have you really won? Nothing. And by the way, I rarely see somebody convinced about anything on Facebook. <laughs> Amen? It's bicker, bicker, bicker. Take someone out to lunch, love them in Jesus' name, and share with them the hope that lies within us. Amen? The whole book of Acts, the apostles, again, covered in a single verse. They preached everywhere. The Lord was working with them. God confirmed the truth of his word through signs. And again, what is the significance of the resurrection? It proves that Jesus is the son of God. It verifies that the word of God is true. It assures our future resurrection because he has triumphed over sin and death. We too will triumph over sin and death. It's proof of future judgment for those who reject him. It's the basis for Christ's heavenly priesthood that he's seated at the right hand of the father. It gives power for Christian living. See, Jesus didn't just us so we could be, you know, saved souls and wasted lives. He saved us that we might be used for his kingdom and for his glory. And then finally, it assures our future inheritance. So right now we're going to go to a time of communion as we close. And And Jesus, on the night he was to be crucified, he was gathered together with the apostles in the upper room. And he told them as they were taking that Passover feast, part of that Passover feast is called the Afikomen. And it's the only part of it that's not in Hebrew. It's, and it's, and it literally, literally, means I came. And what happens is they took the bread and he broke it. And, and instead he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Now the bread was striped, was pierced. It was without leaven because leaven was a picture of sin. And when he, and they were, they were looking back to when they were delivered out of bondage in Egypt. Now remember Passover was when the the lamb was applied in the shape of a cross and the angel of death passed over. This was hundreds and hundreds of years before anybody was crucified, but it was always pointing to Jesus. So he takes the bread and he says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then after that, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for many for the remission of sins. See his body broken and his blood shed was what all the sacrifices were always pointing to for thousands of years. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled it. The blood of bulls and goats can't save you. It was always pointing to the one who could. And so as we take communion, we're doing this in remembrance of the greatest act of love in all of human history. When Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, because proving that he'd rather die than live without you. So the elements are going to be passed. I want you to hold on to them for a moment. Three things I would encourage you to do. Look back. Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. As you're holding on to the elements, take some time to think back on the cross. Remember what the Lord did. Thank him for his death on on the cross. But he also said to look within. He said, you know, if you come before to to bring an offering or you come to take communion, to look within. And this might be a time of confession where you're coming before the Lord. It's just between you and the Lord. You know what, Lord, I haven't really been walking with you. You know, Lord, I came today because I, I, I honor you, but I, my, my faith is not where it should be. Lord, help me. It might be an area where you need to confess to the Lord. Not only looking back to the cross and looking within, but he says to look forward because Jesus told the apostles, the next time I take this with you, I'll take it with you in heaven. There's a day coming where we're going to take communion in heaven. Who's looking forward to that? Yes, 
Lord, we pray as we go to this time of communion now, that we would make this a time that we look within our own hearts. And first we look back to the cross, we remember the greatest act of love in all of human history. Lord, we thank you that you loved us enough to die that we might have eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that three days later you were risen from the dead. And thank you, Lord, we praise you. But Lord, we also want to look within. Be this a time that we'd examine our own hearts before you. Lord, be there any wicked way in us. May we come humbly and broken. May we bring a t- uh, an offering of confession and praise. And Lord, we also look forward to the day when we'll be around your throne forevermore, when there'll be no more pain and no more sorrow, no more death, no more separation, when we will see our Savior face to face. So Lord, as we go to this time of communion, Lord, may we come with, an, with a heart of worship before you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said,